on the surface, the Eat Less, Move More concept. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Does make sense. From our studios in Malibu, California. But a calorie from protein isn't necessarily the equivalent of a calorie from carbohydrate or from fat. Welcome to another episode of the Primal Blueprint Podcast with Mark Sisson. I'm your host, Brad Kearns, here in the Malibu studios with Mark. And today, I thought we would talk about... The question of caloric intake, caloric expenditure, weight loss, some of the misinformation and uh, controversy going on and how to set this whole thing straight. Well, and there certainly is a lot of controversy and there certainly are a lot of questions in the minds of a lot of people because over the years we've, um, you know, I think we in the Primal Blueprint have made it clear that much of this uh, goal of achieving ideal body composition has to do with how you manipulate hormones and particularly insulin and and how you become a fat burning beast and you take fat out of your fat cells and burn it for energy and therefore trend toward an ideal body composition. And yet there still seems to be a uh, a large faction of people out there who are adamant that this is all just a matter of eating less and moving more, that it's a calories in, calories out function, full stop. So today I think we should maybe delve into this and figure out uh, you know, where are the points of disagreement and maybe clear it up from the perspective of the primal blueprint. Okay, eat less, move more sounds reasonable. It sounds like what we've been told our entire lives. What's wrong with that notion? Well, on some levels, there's not much wrong with that. There is, it's, it, it is a basic concept that I think many people would be well advised to observe, and that is that we I do want people to to move more, not necessarily just to burn off calories, but because it's a healthful thing to do that it creates these epigenetic signals that trend the body toward uh, increasing mitochondrial perfusion, you know, that, that allow us to uh, be, become more efficient at accessing stored fat and so on and so forth. The eat less component of that also, to a certain extent, there are people who probably consume way too many calories. So on, its, uh, on the surface, the eat less, move more concept does make sense. But really what we're talking about within the context of the Primal Blueprint is this, um, this notion that calories per se have a context. Uh, a calorie from protein isn't necessarily the equivalent of a calorie from carbohydrate or from fat. For example, if you haven't had any protein today, the first 30 or 40 grams of protein that you consume are quite likely going to be going toward the regeneration of your body. They're going to be used for structural proteins. They're not going to be burned as fuel. Uh, by the same token, some of the fats that you might take in may be taken up by the body more in the context of uh, cell membranes or some, some other functional, not all of which are going to be uh, consumed or used uh, for fuel to drive the body forward. So there is that aspect that calories do have a certain context. Also, uh, depending on your own biochemistry and your own background as a, uh, as a fuel burner, uh, if you have spent most of your life burning off stored sugar, glycogen, as your primary fuel and have uh, become less adept at burning fat, there is the tendency for a lot of your initial uh, intake of carbohydrates to be, to be burned as fuel first and then to be stored as fat uh, secondarily. So when we, when we look at the intake of calories, we, we, we cannot do that without looking at the breakdown of these macronutrients. We can't be ignorant 
of the of the sort of fuel partitioning that we're talking about. One of the basic elements of the primal blueprint is that we want to reduce our glucose load over a lifetime because that in many regards and we can to hold different show, but we can talk about how the less glucose you burn in a lifetime, probably the healthier you will be, probably the longer you'll live. Uh, and and it, so it does behoove us to, to certainly not exceed a, a huge amount of glucose intake. So speaking of glucose intake, and you mentioned how if you're needing the protein, those grams of consumption are going to go toward uh, building your body. Overdoing it on the carbohydrate tends to mess with your hormones, and then that will supersede the whole calories in, calories out, eat less, move more equation because your hormones are messed up. Well, yeah, we talk about the the ability of of, uh, low-carb eaters to mitigate or control insulin. Insulin uh, is recognized as a a nutrient storage hormone, but also a fat storage hormone, and that's really the the main uh, element that we're we're addressing right now, that uh, high levels of insulin tend to drive nutrients into the cells and particularly excess calories that come from either fat, protein, or carbohydrate uh, will be driven into the fat cells. And in some regards, high levels of insulin keep those nutrients and particularly the fat locked into the fat cells so you can't access that energy. And over time, you develop a, um, a situation where you don't have a lot of energy, you feel like your blood sugar is dropping, you feel like you have to eat more frequently, uh, to maintain your energy, to maintain your mood, uh, to maintain your levels of, uh, you know, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. And, and it's a vicious cycle that we get on. Now, when you become adept at burning fat, when you are able to uh, re-examine your fuel intake and intentionally lower the production of insulin and intentionally repartition your fuel so that you derive most of your energy from your stored body fat, at least on a moment-to-moment, day-to-day basis, and that's a, that's a skill that you develop as a result of decreasing the amount of carbohydrates in your diet. And over time, the body responds by upregulating the enzyme systems that are involved in accessing and metabolizing stored body fat. And they downregulate the enzymes that are involved in uh, requiring a fresh supply of glucose every couple of hours. Now we get to a situation where lots of things are happening in the body, where we are um, creating this mitochondrial biogenesis. We're actually suggesting to the cells that they ought to be generating more mitochondria. They ought to be building more mitochondria and making the mitochondria that they have more efficient uh, because there is a, uh, there's going to be an increase in the amount of fat throughput and a decrease in the amount of glycogen or glucose available to the cells. So over time, what happens is we get this, we, we develop a skill to burn fat. We start to burn off our stored body fat and as a result of that skill, several things happen. First of all, we trend toward an ideal body composition. That means that over time, we tend to, dur- to burn off our stored body fat as a source of fuel uh, rather than having to expect another meal every couple of hours. And over time, maybe it's a, a pound a week, maybe it's a pound and a half a week, but over time, we trend toward what would be considered an ideal body composition. Secondly, and really importantly, I think, is that we our, our appetite regulates. We don't have this wild swing in blood sugar or insulin, which artificially drives the tendency to want to eat more and want to take in more carbohydrates. In addition, and this is one of the things I've found you know, most compelling in my own experience, 
uh, is that I, I, I really believe that we can get by on fewer, fewer calories. So when you become good at burning fat, when you become efficient at utilizing the protein that you've consumed, when you decrease your dependency on glycogen and glucose, for instance, to run the brain and you become keto adapted uh, and you, you, you unburden the brain of a requirement of 120 to 150 grams of carbohydrate a day, your overall caloric needs for the day decrease. I've had this in, in, in my experience. I've seen it with other people who will tell me, look, I just, I just don't eat as much as I used to eat. And it, and it doesn't matter because I'm not hungry. Um, some of the you know, naysayers out there have said, wait a minute, if your hunger diminishes and your appetite decreases, isn't that a bad thing? Aren't you supposed to be eating as much as you possibly can while not getting fat? And I think the answer is probably the converse. I think you, ideally you're supposed to be eating as little as you possibly can and maintaining body mass and maintaining muscle mass. And, and so there's, a, you know, th- there's that whole philosophical issue right there. But it, my, my contention is that as long as I'm not hungry, as long as I'm not starving, as long as I feel full at every meal, as long as I don't, I, I don't leave the table wishing I could have had another bite, then I've satisfied my hunger and, and my requirements for energy. Now, how this relates to this whole calories in, calories out concept. Early on in the days of paleo and primal, there was this proposition put forth that you could eat as many calories as you wanted as long as most of them were fat and protein and there was very little carbohydrate. And several studies were cited that suggested that there were people who could eat 4,000 or 4,500 calories a day and as long as it was a very low carb intake, they wouldn't gain weight. Now they wouldn't lose weight because with that amount of calories, you know, you're not going to be pulling fat out of your stored body fat to burn off. But the sort of the take-home message there was that if you could control insulin sufficiently uh, with a high-fat, moderate-protein, low-carb diet, it didn't matter about counting calories, that you wouldn't gain weight, and that you could go about your life, you know, accessing stored body fat or getting fat from the meals, and everything would be wonderful. But what happened was people realized early on that this was not a way to lose weight. This was just a way to not gain weight. So we come back to the original proposition that what does it take to actually lose body fat and lose weight? And the reality is that you have to burn more calories than you store. So it's not about calories in, calories out in a consumption exercise paradigm or or equation. It's simply that you have to burn off more calories than you than you than you store. And that gets back to the hormonal manipulation, not just the insulin, but the leptin, um, the ghrelin in terms of appetite regulation and all of the cascade of hormones that, that, that lies underneath insulin in particular. Okay, so you haven't really refuted the calories in, calories out. That's a literal truth, but you're saying that appetite supersedes everything. Appetite and hormones, which, which regulate your appetite, supersede these valiant efforts to burn a lot of calories and engage in portion control to maintain body weight. Well, yeah, appetite has a lot to do with it. I mean, when we talk about hormones, we're also talking about the hormones that are, you know, body metabolism. So thyroid, which controls the rate at which, uh, um, you know, we generate heat in the body and basal metabolic rate and a, a number of other factors there. Uh, that can be affected by diet. And we look at uh, whether or not we're artificially increasing 
the calories burned just from what we call the thermic effect of food. So there are a lot of different factors in burning calories, uh, some of which are not dependent at all on moving more or burning off calories. Uh, as I say, you can simply raise the metabolic rate through hormonal manipulation or through the thermic effect of food. But let's look at what happens when we, when we burn calories through exercise, for instance. If we've become good at burning fat, if we've done this uh, work of reconfiguring our cells, I call it reprogramming your genes, uh, but doing so to derive most of your energy from stored body fat and, and doing so in a workout, if you work out to that effect and you start burning off calories, one of the things that happens is that you, again, you, you dip into your body fat stores and you don't dramatically reduce your glycogen stores to the extent that you finish the workout and you feel so hungry when you get home you have to replenish them. Conversely, if you're a if you're a sugar burner and you go to the gym and you're on that literal and figurative treadmill every single day and you're and you're not good at burning fat and you're depending on a fresh supply of carbohydrate and you're putting through all of these carbohydrate calories, some of which go into glycogen, some of which get stored as fat, every day you burn, let's say you go to the gym and you burn off 450 calories a day on the treadmill. Well, the brain recognizes what you've done and as soon as you get home, the brain says, look, if you're going to try this tomorrow, we have to eat a lot of calories to replace what we burned off today. So you have people who have gone to the gym day in and day out, and they've done that chronic cardio on the treadmill, and they've not been good at burning fat because they don't understand the concept. They're just thinking in terms purely of calories in, calories out. And because they track the calories they burn so much on the treadmill, when they get home, they don't tend to track the calories that they take in that, are, that the brain is trying to get them to replenish for tomorrow's workout. And over time, these people either tend not to lose weight or they tend to gain weight. That's, that's really the sugar burner mentality and paradigm that we're trying to get rid of. And it's difficult because if you are a sugar burner and if you are have not been good at being able to uh, access stored body fat and mitigate insulin and control your appetite and your hunger, then it's a constant battle with your brain. It's a constant battle with your appetite. It's a constant battle with your hunger. It's a, it's a challenge. It's unsustainable to try and lose weight simply by exercising and cutting calories. So that's sort of the, the, the bad news if you are going down that Weight Watchers Biggest Loser route, which, which would have you just burn more calories and, and eat fewer calories. What I'm suggesting within the Primal Blueprint is that yes, you do have to burn off more calories than you store to lose uh, body fat, but I can show you how to do that partly through uh, manipulating the macronutrient intake, the fat, protein, carbohydrate intake, so that you drop your dependence on glucose, so that your brain becomes good at, at accessing uh, ketones, so that your muscles become good at accessing stored body fat, whether or not you are working out, but on, on every minute of every day. And over time, you know, you tend to, to use that stored body fat and you ad libitum choose to eat fewer calories than say you would have in the old, in your old uh, carbohydrate burning paradigm. Okay. That's an important point because the, the, the former someone stuck in the carb burning paradigm they, they really have no choice. I mean, unless they have the greatest willpower and that $50,000 check waiting for them, they're going to get short-term results, but they're always going to succumb to 
the the survival instinct, if you will, of replenishing those calories because they need them to burn them because they're not efficient at burning fat and ketones. Exactly. Now, let's talk a little bit about ideal body composition because a lot of people would take what I've just said and they would extrapolate and say, well, okay, if I do what you say, Mark, and I become a fat-burning beast and I become fat-adapted and keto-adapted and I decrease my dependence on glucose and I regulate my appetite over time so that I'm not overeating and I'm actually reducing the amount of calories I take in and I'm manipulating my hormones either through my diet or through particular exercise selections to the extent that I'm retaining muscle mass but burning off stored body fat, hey, Mark, won't I get to the point where I'm at um, 8% body fat if I'm a guy and 12 or 13% body fat if I'm a woman? And the answer that I have is maybe and maybe not. Uh, the maybe not is more likely because there is a point at which your body recognizes the 30 or 40 or 60 years of prior history, the potential metabolic damage that you've done to it, the, the programming that it's been used to over the years. And your body might say, you know, we're going to lose weight for a little while here. We're going we're gonna to drop 50 pounds, but maybe we'll plateau. Uh, and that happens to a lot of people, particularly on the primal blueprint, particularly on the paleo diet or any of these ancestral eating strategies. You hit a point where the weight stops coming off. And there's a point of frustration for some people uh, who, rightfully so, have observed such a transition to get to where they are now, but then have stopped losing the weight and are, and in many cases, might even start gaining some back. The first thing I'll tell people is, Ideal body composition is a concept that does not depend on uh, society's picture of what ideal is. It doesn't depend on the cover of Men's Health magazine or Shape magazine or, or the Victoria's Secret catalog. The, your ideal body composition is where your body says, I'm very healthy at this weight. I don't get sick at this weight. Um, I have all the energy I need to get through the day at this weight. I maintain this weight without a lot of effort, without a lot of calorie counting. Um, I'll probably live longer at this weight, even though it's it's slightly higher than I want. So that's truly what ideal body composition is. Now, if we say, okay, well, that's not good enough for me, and I want to look better naked, and what's it going to take to get to the next level? You know, that's where we're going to have to suggest that there's going to be some sacrifices that will have to be made. You are going to have to hit the gym harder. You're going to have to sprint faster on the sprint days. You are going to have to start literally counting calories and cutting back because we're going to force your body to burn off more of your stored body fat. So in that regard, that next level might require a much more aggressive approach that may result in you getting sick more often. It may result in you not having all the energy that you want or not sleeping as, as well as you ought to be sleeping or may not even have you live as long as you might have lived at your true ideal body composition. The point is we can get you there. As a coach, I can get you to where you're going to drop more body fat and you're going to maybe get closer to your own particular goals that you've set for yourself, but that doesn't mean that's your ideal body composition. So we have to sort of separate health from vanity or health from performance and fitness here and suggest that, that health is first and foremost always why we, we embrace the primal blueprint. 
Yeah, not to uh, provide that as a cop-out, I, I will also mention that it seems to me that there's a fair number of people out there that maybe aren't honoring their natural appetite as well as they could be, and they are indeed falling short of their goals and their ideal because they're indulging themselves in a manner that's unnecessary or perhaps in conflict with their stated goals of improving their body composition. Yeah, I, I think, not to point fingers, but we have this great event called Primal Con. And lots of people attend it, and it's it's a three-day caveman experience, and it really is a lot of fun. One of the things that's most compelling about Primal Con is the food that we serve. We serve some of the greatest uh, primal lunches and dinners uh, in the world, and we always have uh, you know, a great chef that prepares these meals. But what I notice at virtually every Primal Con, in the lunch line or in the dinner line, are people walking through with so much food on their plate. Like, I used to consider myself a big eater. And while I'm not a big eater now, I still recognize what that is. And I, I can't eat that much food. I don't understand how how people can... Uh, I mean, I suppose it's it's wired into the human brain that we, you know, food is scarce. I'm a human. Two and a half million years. Food is scarce. And so whenever a, a supply of food comes comes available... You know, we have to stock up on it. And I guess that's human nature. But it's interesting to me to see how how high people will pile food on their plate. And I think in many times it's completely not just unnecessary, but maybe uh, thwarting their best efforts to to drop those extra pounds. Yeah, so no, no need to judge here, but I think everyone has to ask themselves the relative importance of their enjoyment of their meals and their life. And, and their stated goals to improve their body composition. If those are in conflict, then you got to make some hard choices. And it, it seems like what you're saying here in summary is that the first and foremost thing you got to do is dial down your insulin. Otherwise, you're not even capable of losing excess body fat. Yeah, I think the first thing you got to do is understand that the main reason for choosing to eat according to a primal blueprint strategy, which is by its nature lower in carbohydrate than the standard American diet, uh, you know, it's to achieve uh, optimal health, to to get to get the healthiest possible body that you can, and what follows from that may be looking good naked, maybe uh, better performance, maybe a lot of of other what I would call side effects of achieving that good health. But first and foremost, we do this for the, for the health. And what we've seen across the board and over the years, people that come to the Primal Blueprint and start eating this way, uh, their blood lipids improve, their, um, their, their blood glucose resolves, so their A1C drops, and their uh, fasting insulin drops, uh, and their fasting blood glucose drops, and their... HDL improves, and they trend toward this ideal body composition, and inflammation markers decrease, so CRP decreases, uh, homocysteine typically will decrease. We see lots of decreases in polycystic ovarian syndrome or arthritis among people who have given up the grains. All of these are things that we do, first and foremost, to achieve health, and and it certainly requires that we move more, and, and, and I'm suggesting that moving more is part of the health equation, not part of the weight loss equation. And that the weight loss equation comes from becoming adept at, at accessing stored body fat and reducing our uh, reliance on carbohydrate, which converts to glucose. Okay, so we have a motivated listener 
who realizes that maybe they haven't been so careful with their appetite, maybe overeating a little bit with all the primal approved foods. What are a few quick tips that you can dispense to help get that final 10 pounds of body fat off to someone who's already primal aligned and honoring the, the food choices and exercising properly, avoiding chronic patterns, etc.? Well, the, the two things that I would do is, first of all, I would try a compressed eating window. A compressed eating window, which is what I employ, is a method of intermittent fasting which recognizes that you have become good at, at accessing stored body fat. So in my case, I wake up in the morning, I'm not hungry. I'm already burning fat. I might have a cup of coffee and I might go until one o'clock in the afternoon, including a workout in the morning, without eating anything. That's how good I become at accessing stored body fat and using ketones to run my brain as opposed to depending on glucose all day long. I would recommend that somebody try that and try a compressed eating window. So eat between 1 and 7 p.m. For me, it's a lunch, a snack in the afternoon, and then a sensible dinner, as they say on the, uh, on the, on the commercials, slim fast commercials. The other thing I do is I would uh, ask myself at every meal, am I hungry for the next bite? It's not a question of whether there's food left on your plate or whether you're full. The question is, if I didn't eat the next bite of food, could I leave the table and be satisfied and know that there's another meal waiting for me when I'm hungry in three hours, five hours, 10 hours, or whatever? And that's a, a strategy. It's a skill that people have a tendency not to want to develop. It is this it's this excessive amount of food. I mean, you go to some of these restaurants, Cheesecake Factory. My goodness. I can go to a Cheesecake Factory, order one entree, and live off of that for a week. You know, it's it's crazy the amount of food that's put on your plate. And some people still have the mindset that they have to finish what's on their plate. So the question is, am I hungry for the next bite of food? And if the answer is no, I'm not that hungry, uh, or I'm no longer hungry, then be okay with pushing that plate away and setting aside for other, either another meal or having the waiter clear it or, or just throwing it down your own garbage disposal or, or whatever it is that works for you. Uh, those two skills, being able to go for long periods of time without angsting or being moody or depressed because you because your blood sugar is low that's a sign that you are fat adapted and keto adapted when you can wake up one morning and say you know what i'm not hungry i'm not going to eat until i'm hungry and then realize that you're not hungry until two o'clock in the afternoon that's that's a really cool sign that you are fat adapted and the other is again just asking yourself am i truly hungry for the next bite and you mentioned earlier ramping up your sprint efforts as well as a component of accelerating fat loss I mean, I've said this even as far back as my sugar burner days when I was coaching people and I was a proponent of, uh, of the healthy whole grain diet, uh, and that is that nothing cuts you up like sprinting. There's something magical about throwing a sprint routine into your workout once a week that sort of jumpstarts your body into, um, into burning fat during all of the hours after the workout. Uh, you're not burning fat during the workout, but it doesn't matter because we're not we're not really counting those. But it's all the fat calories and all of the stored body fat that you burn in the hours and days after the workout uh, that manifests themselves in additional loss of stored body fat. 
Well, that sounds great. Sounds like a good plan of action for those people who are already primal aligned and want to drop a few extra pounds of body fat. Thank you for listening to the Primal Blueprint podcast with Mark Sisson. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening, and we hope you can join us at PrimalCon Tulum, March 1st through 6th, 2014, at the fabulous Dreams Tulum five-star resort on the Mexican Riviera. Please visit PrimalBlueprint.com, and you'll see complete details under the Events tab, and including description of each day on the vacation and all the various room options at the resort.